you would take your copy of God's Word and open with me to Galatians chapter 5 this morning. These last few weeks I've had you jumping all over the Scriptures. Today we are not only landing in a certain portion of Scripture, we're landing on one verse, okay? But I'm going to read more than one verse to give us some flavor, a little bit of the atmosphere, context. Let us now hear the word of God together. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse number 16, a very familiar text. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, and these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor for each will have to bear his own load. Let us now ask for God's blessings upon his word. Well, Father, as we gather in this space today, I pray that you, through the work of your Holy Spirit, will be pleased to use your word to accomplish your purpose in each of our hearts especially as we think about this one little verse placed in this larger context that seemingly is so important to us. We are called to bear one another's burdens. And in doing so, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. God, would you be pleased this day to take that text, that verse, those few words, and implant them deeply into our hearts that we might be a church by the power of your spirit that would fulfill the law of Christ here among us for your glory. So work, O oh God, in our hearts. Let us not waste our lives some self-orientation, but to be servants like our Savior. 
As we give to you this morning, we do so not out of duty. We do so out of joy, pleasure, delight. To sacrifice that which is important to us for that which is of most importance to us. And that is the glory of Christ here and abroad. So Father, every penny that is given this morning in an act of worship, Every penny that is given, may you use it for the glory of your Son through the proclamation and the spread of the gospel in Appalachia and to the nations. Lord, use us and everything about our lives for the purpose of your kingdom, that we might enjoy you forever. Blessed be your holy name this day. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, with your Bibles open, uh, with me to Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2. Our focus this morning is on a particular text for a particular reason. This is the season of our church life when often we will uh, rearrange and reorganize and refocus our care groups and move into new ministry and new opportunities and um, typically every year we will take a moment during our January preaching to focus in on a truth text that reminds us of our calling together as a church family toward one another. Um, Before I get into this sermon any further, let me just express and a thank you to all of you who served the King family this past week, how you prayed for them. I almost feel like this sermon is, we don't even need to preach it because I watched this this past week in some phenomenal ways as you rose up and cared for this family as they walked through uh, immense suffering and difficulties. So thank you for how you cared for Michael and Ashley, and how you continue to care for them. Um, You are being the body of Christ to them, and that is greatly appreciated. These last few weeks, we've been kind of focused on doctrinal topics, and I must say it's been good for my heart and my soul. We normally don't do that kind of preaching around here, uh, but it's been good for me to go back and focus on, we looked at the doctrine of assurance uh, we looked at the doctrine of sanctification and just try to think through from a big perspective. And then we, we try to connect those two a little bit. Hopefully you sensed that last week. This is the connection uh, between the two. Um, we're going to plan some other sermons like that in the near future. Just to give you a little heads up on what's happening. Uh, I'm preaching this today, kind of oriented toward our small groups, care groups, ministry this coming year. Next week, I, I'm going to preach our kind of why we exist. I'm after today's sermon, I'm just going to pick the biggest big God text I can pick next Sunday and preach it, okay? So I don't know what that is, but I'm going to say this to you next Sunday. We are about the glory of God, period. That's why we exist, okay? So you still have to show up, all right? Uh, There's going to be more to it than just that, but come as we kind of refocus ourselves. Then we'll be back into Hebrews uh, for a few weeks at least. Pastor Tim uh, will be preaching in a couple of weeks leading us back into the book of Hebrews. As he noted during the announcement, our ladies are, are kind of coming along beside that in a ladies Bible study with Jen Wilkin uh, that is happening on Tuesdays, I think it is. So uh, if we've gotten anything wrong, they'll correct it during the ladies Bible study. All right. So uh, another benefit to coming to that. 
uh, but would really encourage you to just be a good way to wrap this up, this lengthy study we've been involved in together. So today it's one verse, verse number two, Galatians chapter six. I have it on the screen behind me, but if you look down at your text, just to reread it, it's kind of stuck right here in the midst of a larger context. Paul writes these words under the inspiration of God's spirit, bear with one another or bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the midst of a larger context, Paul kind of lays out this idea that I'm going to walk through for these next 35 or so minutes to talk through what this means to us and kind of we're going to break the text apart. I'll walk you through an outline in just a moment. But, but I really want to hone in and say, how can we here at Randolph Street fulfill the law of Christ? What's that look like? It's a little, small text. Our readings this morning, you're going to note this throughout 2020, our readings during our gatherings are going to be varied and diverse. We're going to have larger portions of text that are read during our public readings of Scripture. This morning, you heard Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 read. I thought, what an appropriate text, because I look at this particular passage, and Paul here is calling me to fulfill the law of Christ. That's what he's calling us to here. If we bear one another's burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. And Romans 6 reminds me this morning that I have died to sin, that I'm now free, and sin no longer reigns over me. It is no longer my master, but I am dead to sin, and I am now alive to God. This new positional reality of my life because of the grace of God, and now I am free, if you will, to obey God and to pursue this kind of text to fulfill the law of Christ. See, when I read that, it feels overwhelming to me. How can I fulfill the law of Christ? But texts like Romans 6 remind me, Part of the redemptive work of Christ is to free me from the power of sin so the sin will no longer reign over me and be my master. But now, through faith, I am alive to God and now I am free to obey God and I am free now to fulfill the law of Christ. So what feels overwhelming to me on the one hand On the other hand, I know Christ has worked and he is now working in me so that I might pursue this. So that I might engage and fulfill the law of Christ. Here's your outlines if you want to just take, it's pretty simple. We're going to kind of work through a theology of burdens. There's your encouraging way to begin 2020, right? A theology of burdens. What is it? And then we're going to look at the why behind it. I think I'm more interested in the why behind it as I am to kind of working this word out. Two, we're going to look at our calling in this text. And this calling applies if you're a Christian here this morning. You have placed your faith in Christ. This calling is for you. We're going to look at our calling. Three, we're going to look at a massive encouragement or motivation that's in this text. And then I'm going to end our morning with four 
challenges for our Randolph Streeters here, right? Four 2020 challenges for those who are members of this local church. So let's go back now, look at this text, and let's kind of walk through these points I've laid out before us, a theology of burdens. That's how Paul begins this little text, bear one another's burdens. Paul, as we've talked about in so many other texts, Paul is a pastor. He's a shepherd of God's people. He is deeply concerned for this particular local church, and his concern rises in this this category that he calls burdens. So what is this? Before I go into my little stuff here, not out loud, don't answer this out loud, all right? Not opening this up for awkwardness. In your mind, what is a burden? Don't answer out loud, okay? How many times can I say that, right? Just in your mind, let it go through. What are, what are burdens? Because it means you need to know this. You can't fulfill your calling, and you certainly can't fulfill the law of Christ until you understand what Paul is going after here. What are, what are burdens? Let me give you my answer and Sproul's answer. Mine first, then Sproul can help me. Burdens are simple. It's heavy loads. Think of it in those contexts. It's a heavy load that is up on a person's life. Immense pressure. It's a weight that has fallen up on someone's shoulders, if you will, proverbial shoulders. Sproul writes this in his commentary, the burdens of Paul, the burdens that Paul speaks of in Galatians 6.2 are loads too heavy for one person to carry. And they represent all the varied problems and difficulties that we experience in this life. That's Paul's mind here when he speaks about this idea of burdens. So, so Paul here in Galatians 6.2 is not focused on Specifics. He's, he's not working out the details for us, if you will. It's kind of a generic state, statement, if you will, to capture this reality of our lives, this idea of burdens. And I think within it, there is an implicit idea about what these burdens can bring up on us, if you will. I mean, just, just the idea of the word, burden. I mean, it's a heavy word. I mean, even as you say it, even as you let it kind of rumble around in your brain, you think about just the heaviness of this idea of burdens. It's, it's a very graphic term. And I think the implicit idea built within this word is the fallout of burdens, right? They lead to despair and discouragement. You can collapse under the weight, if you will, of these particular concerns. They can be overwhelming to us and they can undermine our faith and erode our walk with Christ. These are what burdens are. This heavy weight that is brought on by the difficulties of this world of which we live. And when weighed down by them, they can bring discouragement and depression. They can distract us from our walk with Christ. So I think that's why Paul's so concerned about him here. This isn't some mental health well-being class that Paul's teaching. I think Paul is deeply concerned about this because burdens are real and they weigh up on us 
And they can lead to bitterness and discouragement and depression in this life and distract us from our walk with Christ. They're real. I think the burdens that Paul has in mind here are varied. They can be spiritual burdens. I think that's probably inherent within the context. Back to verse number one. Our own sin. They can be emotional, physical, circumstantial, financial, relational. They can be temporal or long-lasting. They can be short-term. They can be chronic. They can be simple. They can be complex. But the common bond of the burdens we experience in this life is that they weigh on us and they potentially can erode our faith and undermine our confidence in God. I think in this passage, in verse number two, when he says, bear one another's burdens, I think there's this inherent idea that every believer potentially experiences this reality of burdens. Every believer. These one another ideas that rise up in, the, in, in Paul's writings especially. I used to know the number, 80, 90, however many times the New Testament scriptures use that particular phrase, one another, and it's predominantly in the writings of Paul. He's very concerned about this, this personal, relational ministry that we engage in together. Paul is very concerned about it. He, he wants to see an outworking of the gospel. But I think pressed into this particular text is Paul's understanding and knowledge that burdens are a reality for every child of God. Every believer walks through the struggles and the sin and the challenges that living in a cursed world brings upon us. Burdens. It's just our reality. Let me press behind it a little bit theologically, if I could, this idea of burdens. Theologically, every hardship we walk through, and I'm going to talk out of two sides of my mouth here for a second, okay? Theologically, every burden that we experience in this life, every hardship, is a direct result of Adam's disobedience in the garden. Through his disobedience, what has fallen upon the human race and upon the earth, upon us, is a condition that is known in the scriptures as cursed. Through Adam's rebellion in the garden, we now live in a cursed world, in cursed bodies, if you will. The fallout of Adam's disobedience is severe, it's dramatic. I don't think we can even begin to understand the difficulties that rise up in Genesis chapter 3. The whole narrative of the Bible changes there in Genesis chapter 3. The fallout of Adam's disobedience is complex, it is severe, it is dramatic. A part of that are the burdens we now live under and experience in this world. Because of Adam's disobedience... I walk through spiritual burdens, right? I have tendencies towards sin. 
And I would argue we all have tendencies toward specific sins. It's just the nature of me as a result of Adam's disobedience. I now live in a fallen body. I lived in this cursed world. I have tendencies that are inherent within me. I mean, if you go back to Galatians chapter 5, Paul speaks of this in verse number 17. He says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. You hear that? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. As a result of Adam's disobedience, what rises up in me naturally, naturally, is sin and rebellion. Because Adam is my father, my earthly father. And sin breeds, brings forth, it, it births, if you will, burdens. Because of Adam's fall, there are physical, mental, and emotional consequences. So cancer and heart problems and diabetes and depression anxiety, complex physical, mental, and emotional struggles, pains, and problems all draw a direct line right back to the garden and Adam's disobedience. And every one of you experience them. It's okay. I think when we battle emotional or problems, especially sometimes we can look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with me? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong with you and what's wrong with me. Adam's my dad. And Adam's your dad. And his disobedience in the garden brought forth a cursed earth and a cursed bodies. And we live under the weight of those burdens. Because of Adam's disobedience, there are societal problems, injustices, and crimes, poverty, and hardships. I mean, we see this throughout the New Testament. Injustice sometimes seems to reign. Poverty is true of God's people, especially in the early portions of the New Testament. That's the theology of burdens, the one side. These things we experience... They are directly tied back to the disobedience and the transgressions of Adam in that garden. When he sinned, this world went upside down. That's why, and I read this at the king's at the funeral the other day for little Peyton. That's why our hearts just about leap out of our bodies when we read Revelation 21 and 22. Because all of a sudden, in Revelation 21 and 22, all of the bad that we saw in Genesis chapter 3 is undone. And it's not only undone, but it's better now. The curse is done away with. And we have the new heavens and the new earth. And we live there in new bodies, glorified, risen bodies. And our hearts almost explode within us. Well, why? Because we are unshackled from the burdens that we experience in this world. I 
mean, you have them, right? I'm not just preaching to myself here this morning, right? You have those things, okay, right? You have stresses and anxiety. You have physical problems. You have a, we all have our struggles. Theologically, it is so because we live in a fallen world. That's one side of my mouth, okay? Now, hear the other side of my mouth here for a second. Still under the theology of burdens. Not one burden that you experience. Not one burden in this world that you experience falls outside of the sovereign, wise, and purpose of God. The sovereign, wise, plan, and purpose of God. Not one burden that we experience in this world falls outside of God's wise and sovereign plan for our lives. For those who are called and those who love God, here's the comfort. God works all things together for our good. What are those all things? Those all things are everything. Nothing falls outside of God's meticulous sovereignty. And he works them for our good. Some burdens are absolutely overwhelming. And we may not have answers. And they may devastate us. And I want press over this text this morning, this theology of burdens. They rise up and are a consequence of Adam's disobedience. And God is sovereign over all of that. Working for our good. Well, that was a discouraging few moments. I apologize for that. Theology of burdens. I'm probably not going to write a book called The Theology of Burdens, okay? But we just need to hear that, think that through. Now let's look at our calling in this text. Bear one another's burdens. It's emphatic. It's intentional. It's an exhortation from Paul to the church. Our responsibility, our calling in this context of which we live of burdens is that we together bear one another's burdens. And there you see the one another phrase that I spoke of just a moment ago. This idea that this relational ministry must be occurring. Can't be isolation. We have to engage in this because we have a calling to one another that we are going to enter into one another's lives and we're going to bear one another's burdens. So to bear one another's burdens is this. It is to have an eye toward the afflicted. It is to have an eye toward the afflicted, to be sensitive to their concerns, to recognize that they are overwhelmed. This is what it is to have a burden. And then to come along beside them. And carry and lift that burden from them. Brothers, this is a hard calling. I want to say some of that again because I was very careful in my work. To bear one of those burdens, we have to have an eye for the afflicted. 
We have to look, we have to observe, we have to be sensitive to those who are troubled, those who are walking through difficulties. But it's not just simply a knowledge of who is struggling. There is in us, in our will, something that rises up and says, okay, not only do I see your suffering, not only do I see your hardships, now I'm going to enter into them with you. And I'm going to bear them. Again, if the, if the word burden has graphic language or graphic idea behind it, oh, the word bear does also. If it's got this intentional idea of joining together with this individual, those who are struggling, and lifting that weight from them. It's got, it's got this idea of coming along beside someone who's staggering. And I don't watch boxing much anymore, but when I was little, I used to, uh, Pernell Whitaker, Sweet Pea, does anybody remember him? Or I'm just saying how old I am, I guess, several of you, Craig Becker, like, ah, I remember him, all right? And I used to love watching good boxing matches back in the day, and strategic, and they, you know, and somebody get, lands a punch, and the other one starts staggering, <laughs> you know, and it's like blood in the water, you know, and they just go after him. But that staggering idea is here. When the weight of life presses up on our shoulders, there is that sense where we, we stagger. We stumble. That weight presses down upon us. The load of life's challenges is absolutely overwhelming. To bear that is for me to step into your life and to help you with your load, to carry it, to lift it, to bring relief and comfort. And if you note the verb here, there's this idea of an ongoing action, I think. I, th- I think it's intentional in Paul's mind because it, this is a ministry that is necessarily repetitive, it never ends. Because our theology of burdens tell us burdens never end until the new heavens and the new earth. So this ministry of bearing one another's burdens is a never-ending ministry. Some of you have walked through unimaginable burdens. And I've had a joy as a pastor to watch others. I mean, I just watched this past week in amazing ways. Some of you enter into Mike and Ashley's life. And you can't take that burden away. Ah, if you could, right? If you could just, you can't. But it's, it's just almost like you've entered in and you've said, okay, that weight that's on you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear it on my shoulders with you. And I'm going to help you carry this. That's the idea here. And that's your calling. And it is a continuous calling. As long as you have breath in your bodies, Christ has saved you for this. He has redeemed you for this work. It is a high and holy calling that he has placed up on every Christian in this room. If you remember back in Matthew 23, Jesus would say this about the Pharisees. He says, The scribes and Pharisees sat on Moses' seat. 
And they do so and observe, they, they so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. And then listen to what he says about the Pharisees. They tie heavy burdens, hard to bear. And they lay them up on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with one finger. That's a condemnation upon the Pharisees. They lay burdens up on people. What Christ is calling us to in this text is the exact opposite. That's not the way of the Christian there. The way of the Christian is not to lay burdens up on individuals. The way of the Christian is to enter into people's lives and help relieve burdens that have landed up on them. Tom Schreiner in his commentary with this little quote, A life that is pleasing to Christ is humble and not self-absorbed and conceited. One indication that we are puffed up with ourselves is that we provoke and annoy others when we are present with him instead of providing encouragement and edification. (laughs) Only reason I read that, he had the guts to say it. Do you annoy others when you're around him? I mean, it's the exact opposite of what he's calling us to here. Right? He's calling us to enter in and to bear with patience and to love unconditionally. To have compassion rise up in our hearts to come alongside our brothers and sisters and serve them. Let me just kind of, with this, let me give you five considerations on this idea of bearing one of those burdens. Just, just real quick, let me run through these. To help us think this through a little bit further. Number one, bearing burdens requires men and women who are spiritually strong. Martin Luther would say this. A Christian needs, about this idea of bearing one of those burdens, Luther says, a Christian needs broad shoulders and husky bones in order to carry the burdens of his brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not speaking physically there. It sounds like it, right? Broad shoulders, husky bones. What he's saying there is you need to be spiritually strong. This ministry that Christ is calling us to in this text requires us to be deep in our faith so that when trials and struggles come upon our brothers and sisters, we seek to enter in and provide help and encouragement and strength to them. Here's what I want you to think about in this idea of bearing burdens requires you to be spiritually strong. Sometimes we think about our own spiritual growth in isolation, right? So uh, I read my Bible and I pray every day. Check, check. And sometimes we think about that in relation only to ourselves, this radical individualistic idea, right? But I want you to see this. Your spiritual growth, in a text like this, your spiritual growth, your spiritual health impacts far more than just you. Your growth impacts the body of Christ. You must be strong in order to enter into people's lives and to bear their burdens with them. It requires men and women who are healthy and growing in their walk with Christ. You grow in your walk with Christ so that you can enter into others' lives and help them and encourage them. Number one, bearing bearing burdens requires men and women who are spiritually strong. Number two, 
bearing burdens is often overwhelming. This command of Paul requires sacrifice of your time, your emotions, and your mind. If you fulfill the call of Christ upon your life in Galatians 6-2, I promise you, you will be overwhelmed at times. Bearing burdens, Paul's call to us, is hard. You will lose sleep. You will probably pray like you have never prayed before in your life. Sorrow will rise up in your heart at 2 a.m. Romans chapter 12, weep with those who weep. That's what you're called to. It can be overwhelming. Number three, burden bearing is difficult because of this whole text I just read a few moments ago. Our flesh. Naturally, we are a self-oriented people. That's who we are. Again, because of Adam and his disobedience in the garden, what rises up in me first is me. I think that's true of you. It should be because you're in the flesh. What rises up first in me are thoughts about me. We are naturally self-oriented and relationships that are required in order to bear one another's burdens are sometimes awkward, they're time-consuming, they're heartbreaking, and the first response that rises up in my heart is, how is this affecting me? So my natural tendency, and I'm a pastor, I signed up for this, but my natural tendency when you're walking through a deep burden is to withdraw from you. That's my natural tendency. Because I'm related to Adam. This isn't easy. That's why I'm just focused on one little verse today. It's not easy. Number four, this burden bearing that Paul calls us to is a tangible way to express your trust in God and his sovereign work in your lives. Put a text up here so you wouldn't have to turn. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions. You hear that? He comforts us in your afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. This is, this is where the sovereignty of God rises up so strongly, right? God comforts us in our affliction. Let, let's change a word here. God comforts us in our burdens so that we may be able to comfort those in their burdens when you engage in this particular kind of ministry, bearing one another's burdens, it is a tangible way for you to express your trust in God and his sovereign work in your life. God has walked you through difficulties so that now you can turn around and walk with others in their difficulties. 
Number five. This ministry of burden bearing is done only in God's strength. No one in this room is the hero in other people's lives. If you are going to engage in this ministry of burden bearing, which I'm saying to you today, Randolph Street, it is our ministry together. Everyone in this room who is a Christian, this is our ministry together. If you engage in this ministry, it is only done so in the strength that God can provide, period. I have watched some of you do this. I I got tangible people. I got pictures in my mind right now of some of you who can step into people's lives. And oh, how God works in you to comfort and to strengthen and to build up. Oh, how It's just amazing to watch that from me as a pastor, how God comforts you and strengthens you and gives you wisdom and grace and the necessary gifts that you can step into lives overwhelmed and you come along beside people and you help relieve the weight that has fallen up on their shoulders. This ministry is only done in God's strength. But I would also add this, if I can add a sixth point, it's only done in God's strength because only God will get the glory in this. That's next week's sermon, okay? Let's move to our number third point in the sermon. This encouragement and motivation that's in this text. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I'm calling that an encouragement, a motivation, if you will. So what I'm hearing from Paul now is if I engage in this ministry, I fulfill the law of Christ. And, And I don't know what that is yet, but I like the sound of it. Right, that I as a Christian can engage in a type of ministry that says, if I do this, I'm fulfilling the law of Christ. It's an outstanding statement that Paul makes, kind of shocking. But the point of that statement is this. As you enter into another person's life and into their struggles and into their concerns and into their burdens, if you will, as you enter in and minister and care for them and love them and bear their burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ in that you are expressing the love of God to them. And I can think of no other better way to live than to seek to fulfill the law of Christ in my brothers and sisters. But before I get to some other verses, a little extended quote from Spurgeon. I thought this was helpful. His sermon on this text, he said, these Galatians had been trying to, if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, and I'm doing no background, no context. He says, these Galatians had been trying to bear the heavy burden of the law of Moses. They had, as far as they could, put themselves again under the old ceremonial law. Some of them had forsaken the gospel way of justification by faith and had sought to be made perfect by their personal obedience to the law. Now the apostle says to the Galatians, as though he would expel one affection by another. Man, I find this so helpful. They're they're going after the law of Moses. They want to be reburdened, if you will, by the law of Moses. And Spurgeon writes here, listen, he's going to expel one affection for another. And he says, here is the law of Christ. You want a law? Here it is. 
It's the law of Christ. Yield yourselves to it. Instead of observing the outward ceremonial laws of the Levitical law, here is the living law, which touches the heart and influences the life. Obey that law. You are Christians. You have come under law to Christ by the very fact that you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price by him. Now see to it that you yield implicit obedience to the law of Christ. Paul did well in the mood in which the Galatians were as they wanted to be under law to remind them of the true essence of the law and that is the law of Christ. You want law, Spurgeon writes, here it is. It's the law of Christ. Bring yourself under it and obey it. And what is the law of Christ? Well, let me bring some other text into this. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Hear that? Love one another. Look at our Savior. How has our Savior loved us? See that, which is the essence of the law. How has our Savior loved us? Now I'm going to love my neighbor. I'm going to love you. Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On those two commandments hang the whole law. And then there's Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. And Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. James chapter 2, verse number 8. All of these texts kind of pull together and say to us, the law of Christ is this, that we love one another. As Christ has loved us. So, to tie all that together just very quickly before I get into some very practical comments about our church family. As you love one another, as you enter into one another's lives, you see difficulties, you you have an eye toward the afflicted, and you enter in and you serve and you care and you give of your time, you give of your effort, you give of your emotions, you give of your prayer to these lives. Paul is saying that you're loving the brethren. You are showing forth the love of Christ, and in doing so, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. Randolph Street, few things should motivate us like this. I know it's not glamorous, right? It's hard. It brings forth all kinds of difficulties, but few things should motivate us as much as this, that I can fulfill the law of Christ as I enter into your life and bear your burden, showing you the love like my Savior has shown to me. Four challenges for you to end our morning. All right, and and here's what I'm doing, these four quick challenges. I'm asking the question with a couple of them, how can I fulfill the law of Christ right here? So here's a couple of suggestions. Number one, each Lord's Day in 2020, let's walk into this room and prayerfully consider 
who we might serve. I mean, it's a, it's a privilege to walk in this room 52 times a year. Here we are. Same people, week in, week out. This is your family. You can walk in this room. Ask God for wisdom. Have an ah. If you're not under the heavy weight of burdens right now, oh, have an ah. Look. Look around. Engage with individuals. Prayerfully ask God who you might be able to serve and to care for and to love. It would be nice if you could look around and see the burden on people's shoulders, right? Be helpful, but you can't. But as you engage and get to know people, walk in this room week in and week out, not asking how I might be able to be served, but walk in here and say, how might I serve? Who might I serve? Number two, in 2020, strive to put yourself in places to build meaningful relationships. If you're not intentional about this, it just doesn't happen. And Galatians 6.2 is not going to be fulfilled unless you are intentional. So in 2020, maybe what rises up in us is say, hey, I'm going to strategically put myself in places where I can build meaningful relationships with God's people so that I might fulfill the law of Christ. So small groups, care groups, Bible studies, Listen, this ladies' Bible study is coming up. The content's going to be great. And, and that's what we're doing. We're studying God's word together. But what, what comes out of that also are meaningful relationships centered up on God's word that get, then can grow opportunities for you to minister to one another. It's not, um, I hate saying it like this, it's not just the Bible study. It's the fruit of the Bible study. Men's prayer times. Every Thursday morning, a group of men sat right out in that welcome center and they pray together. They read a chapter and they pray. And you get to know what's going on in their lives. I mean, come to Terry or Garrison and ask them. And it's, I, I'm a pastor here, and yet it's at Thursday morning prayer time. I've learned of a lot of burdens that our congregation is walking through. Sojourners. Outreach ministries like To Every Door, our academy. The list goes on and on. But put yourself in places that you can build meaningful relationships in 2020 so that you might fulfill the law of Christ. Here's a specific challenge we're putting before you in 2020. Calling it the Share a Meal Together Challenge, our creativity at its best. This will be in your bulletin next week. Here it is. Mills provide a great opportunity to engage with others about God and his word. Eating together encourages gratitude through prayer and connection through conversation, thus unifying the body of Christ. Our challenge to you is to share a meal with others from Randolph Street at least one time every month in 2020. Think about that. Now, what that doesn't mean is you have to go home, and and we're going to put out all kinds of information for this. And have the perfect home with the perfect meal. That's not what we're asking you to do. We're asking you just to invite others into your home, into a restaurant, into a coffee shop, wherever it might be, so that through that time you can build meaningful relationships. 
You say, well, I don't even know who to begin with. Come and talk to Tim, one of our elders or deacons. We'll point you in right places. Hey, how about this? We have all kinds of widows in this church. 2020, how about cook a small meal and go to their house and sit down with them and eat it with them? You better cook good because they probably are good cooks, okay? A little warning. Talk to them. Sit down over meals and get to know one another so that you can hear about their lives. Ask right questions. Don't just talk about the weather, though you can talk about the weather. Get to know one another. This is God's calling up on us. This is just a little mechanism we're throwing out in 2020 and saying, hey, every month, think about it strategically. Pray about this. Who can I invest in? Who can I go after? Who can I just come along beside of and get to know them so that as burdens do arise up in their lives, I'm there for them. I'm with them. They know that they can come to me and talk with me. This is what families do. And we are a family. Consider how you might engage in this. Last point, and we'll sing. If you are burdened, you might be sitting here listening. Okay, all right, Jason, you're just piling on now. I'm burdened. I'm weighted down. And you're You're just going after me and adding more weight. That's not the intent of this. There's a two-way street in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 2. The two-way street is here, those who experience the burdens and those who are going to help bear the burdens. You may be in this category right now, where the weight of life has just landed on your shoulders, whatever it might be, emotionally or physically, circumstantially economically, whatever the, the, the issue is, it's just landed up on you. Can I encourage you toward this? Seek someone out. That's hard. I probably have more pride than anyone in this room. And when I'm walking through difficulties, the last thing I want to do is to look at you in the eyes and say, I need your help. If you find yourself to be one of those people here this morning who just the weight of life is on you, find a brother or sister today. Talk with them. Let them step into it. And listen, if someone comes to you today or tomorrow or next week, humbly, patiently, kindly, step in. You don't have to be an expert. There's no experts here. Christ is, but not us. Step in. Share the load. Bear the weight. Weep with those who are weeping. I can promise you this. If you give your life to this kind of ministry... When that day comes and you breathe your last breath, you will not regret this. You will not regret living a life pursuing the fulfillment of the law of Christ. You will not regret this. There will be a deep abiding pleasure in your heart because you're seeking the glory of God in the lives of your brothers and sisters.
2020 is before us as a church. May God strengthen us to be men and women of Galatians 6-2, bearing one another's burdens. And may every day around here the law of Christ be fulfilled in his people. Amen? Pray with me. Father, small text, big truth. Small text, big truth. You have called your people from darkness into light. You have dwelt them through the Holy Spirit. You have made us members of one another. You have gifted each of us accordingly for the good and the edification of the body. You have promised wisdom if we just ask. Lord, would you be pleased this coming year at Randolph Street in this little, tiny local church? Would you be pleased to do such a good work in us this year that we might be good bearers of our brothers' and sisters' burdens, that we could come along beside them, showing the love of Christ that he has shown to us and the fallout of those kinds of actions and obedience, oh God, would you grant encouragement, stability, edification, strength in those who are experiencing the burdens of this life. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of calling us into this. When we experience your good pleasure in this ministry, we know that this calling is a gift. God, be kind and raise up in us right now deep desires to fulfill the law of Christ, loving one another as Christ has loved us. And we ask that for the glory of you, our God that the world may look upon our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. That is our prayer. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.